This morning's reading is from the undocumented American poet of Mexican birth, Yosimar Reyes. A poem so that the weight of this country does not crush you. Some days you may wake up sad. Some days you may wake up frustrated. Some days you may wake tired. Some days you may wonder if it's worth it. Some days you may question your own growth. Some days you may think on how immense the world is. To be caged in this country, to be subjugated to all this abuse. Sometimes you just want to breathe. And baby, I am here to remind you to sit in those moments, to sit in that whirlpool, but just know that there are people like me picking up the load when you can't. There are people like me pushing so that the weight of this country does not crush you. That there are people like you who will fight when I can't. We will take turns pushing against these walls. I got your back and you got mine. And in the scheme of things, does anything else matter? Even if our fight is unfruitful, we will depart with our dignity intact. We will depart knowing that this country is losing a prized possession. This country is losing the gift of our resilience. We will watch them as they tear into each other's skins and thank the heavens we never turn beasts like them. Here is the world, beautiful and terrible things happen all the time. Keep our hearts tender, let our eyes be soft because this is what you and I are about. We know there is no answer but to love one another and we bear witness against unnecessary destruction. We gather in community to practice being the person that we wanna be and the world is calling us to be. And we cannot do everything, but we can do something, and that something is not nothing. So let us forget our perfect offering. There is always a crack in everything. And as we say together every week, that, my friends, is how the light gets in. The arrival of September brings with it certain rituals. Stocking up on wood, for the backyard fire pit to bring warmth on cool nights. Taking out the filter on the furnace and smacking it against the basement wall in a cloud of built up winter fluff. Finding the forgotten backpacks before the first day of school, including, of course, the lunch boxes that the kids swore they emptied in June. And yes, getting in the car with the two kids, Karen staying home because, well, she never comes to where we are going. Heading west on the pike and then south deep into the center of the state where the trees are rolling green and the politics are a deeper hue of red. And on the horizon, the top of the sky screamer. 
thrill ride spinning its stomach churning circles as well as the tips of the mind eraser and the joker both roller coasters of death just noticeable if you squint and getting closer the six flags of six flags flapping in the wind with his, which is worth noting because only in august did six flags in texas remove the confederate flag as one of the six flags the company flew in its parks in that state which I know to the kids who now outrank me and outflank me when it comes to deciding which ride we will do first. Never mind that we are a threesome, which means that I will need to sit next to strangers and grip their knees <laughs> when the rides go ooh and ah and oh no. So I'm trying to let these kind of politics, the politics of fun and who sit next to whom, be the primary politics of this day. But the summer of turmoil is not far outside my eye or my ear or my heart, which feels especially bruised. As we wait together, the three of us in forever lines, to get through the gates, and I notice there a family of five not too far ahead of us with matching t-shirts, all five of them, that proclaim Redneck Nation number 76, the words encircled around a speeding image of a NASCAR, all on the backdrop of, a, of another Confederate flag, which after Charlottesville I can't help but not see, nor can I help but not see the family of color who is queuing up two families behind them who seem not to pay the shirts any mind even though they surely do. So part of my coming to terms with my being a white guy, as in aware of the privilege that my skin color affords me, mean that, means that I need to reckon all the time with a culture that gives me the choice to notice or not notice how these kinds of symbols impact families like that family of color, who of course have no choice. And part of my coming to terms with being a religious person and not just describing religion as, you know, a career choice, means that I can't just satisfy myself with the notion that life is some private trip filled with, you know, selfies, hey, and solo spirit quests in the woods and comfortable sermons in the suburbs. But that instead, my fate is caught up in your fate, and your fate is caught up in my fate, and our fate is caught up in the fate of those people wearing those Confederate flag t-shirts and the fate of the black family behind them trying not to notice. And can we admit that that idea that we're all caught up together is, it's frustrating. Because, you know, it's so much easier just um, keeping to ourselves. Emerson says, feeling brave, Dad, feeling courageous? <laughs> Which is a loaded question. Because would a courageous person have confronted the family wearing the t-shirts in line? 
cutting in line to ask with a pointed finger? Do you ever think how that t-shirt makes the person behind you feel? Such is the state of my spirit in these so ununited states that I will confess to you that I don't, I don't know what to say or how to be or when I should speak up without worrying if things will escalate. Which is why, by the way, we're having an upstander training, so go to that. But this escalation in line isn't the only one I have to worry about because it's then that, that Emerson points up above our heads to the nuclear green ride, and a ride is a generous term, <laughs> which you sit in, you sit four abreast, and your feet dangle. And then it pulls you back like a slingshot. Except that it doesn't pull you straight back, it pulls you straight back and then up. <laughs> straight up. Straight up. Did I say straight up? You're like a mile in the sky. And your body is at right angle to the ground and your face is down. It's looking down. And it pauses there for a purgatory lifetime. before it releases you into the, into the death arms of gravity and momentum, into twists and turns, and not one, but two loop-de-loops, before it grabs you again and pulls you up, straight up. Did I say straight up? But this time it's in the other direction, so your face is in the sky, pausing there again for a purgatory lifetime before it sends you back again through the spins and spirals and hoops. We're going on that first, they say. <laughs> you afraid? You afraid, Dad? You afraid because we're not no way, uh-uh. Nope. Yeah, I want to say that's just because you haven't lived long enough. But I don't say that because today, that day, I'm trying not to be cynical, doom and gloom preacher dad. I mean, I've got to save something for you. <laughs> I can't burn it up in early September. And yet this much is true, is it not? You get older, and as you get older, courage comes, it seems to come harder. Doesn't it? Courage, now first etymology of the year. Jessica, this is the thing I do, we do together. From the French, meaning heart. And as, as we grow together, and as our hearts, they break, and then, then they mend, and they break, and they mend, and as you you love other people and you watch your heart walk outside your body and the bodies of other people that you cannot protect. And as you look out at the world and you are struck, your heart is by all your heart cannot save. 
Having courage, having heart is harder won. It requires more practice. It requires more intention and more prayer. I love our theme this month, more commitment. Which, of course, when you have it, when you find and summon the courage, it is even more precious and prized when you manage to take a deep breath in and you summon the courage. But before I can summon my courage, I still have the line to contend with, which is now more of a mob and a blob than a line as we wait through the security check and the metal detectors. Since when did amusement parks have metal detectors? What happened? Like, what's going on? What is happening? I mean, I'm glad they're, they're there. I'm glad they'll, they'll stop people bringing in guns and wires coming out of purses and incendiary water bottles. But sometimes, friends, I think we've just gotten too used to things that should shock us that we've gotten too good at adapting to things that, that should provoke us out of our normalcy because some of what we're living through, it just is not normal. It's not normal. But the crowd, it spooks me there in line. Crowds have spooked me ever since August when I think I've told some of you we visited Barcelona for my wife's birthday. And we were there just a week five days before the terror attacks there. And we stayed in a third-story Airbnb right off the promenade. All four of us and my in-laws, we walked up and down that promenade like five times a day. The news of the attack not long after we left, provoking in my heart, my heart, my courage, my lack of courage, my heart full of what ifs. What if the driver chose to be there a week earlier? Like what if we had visited a week later? What if, what if, what if? Now, I've heard of survivor guilt, but is survivor fear a thing? Fear of, of a van that's now a weapon, fear of walking on the street, fear of riding the tube in London on the weekend, fear of attending anti-hate protests in Charlottesville or Boston, bless you, Heather Heyer. Fear of a president who can't seem to denounce the KKK without equivocation or much, if any, consequence. Fear of bars that have gotten set so low, hey, there's no tweet today, things must be just terrific. Fear of the division and where it will lead. Fear of all we cannot save and fear of what we can save, given our relative privilege, if we only get outraged enough to disturb our status quo and I speak about myself as much as I speak to you. I know what I need, and I know what you need is courage, but am I the only one who is trembling? Don't worry, Dad, you can hold our hands. The kids say as we wend our way to the last three open seats on Green Goliath. Seat belt over my lap, harnessed down over my chest, both hands of my children, whose hands I held when they first were born into this world, now giving me the thing that I need. 
it occurs to me then how much faith we put in each other. Faith in the engineer who designed this ride. Demonic, you may be. <laughs> faith in the person who built the machine that fabricated the clasps on the belt. Faith in the person, whatever their politics, who threaded the bolts on the seat and tightened them to the correct torque specs. Faith in the pimpled teenager who, the operator who comes to like do a light-handed touch thing on your belt. <laughs> oh, you're fine. <laughs> I think we should pay them more. Faith in the hands of my kids on either side of me as the floor evaporates underneath our feet and we are pulled back into the slingshot of Goliath. Back and then straight up. Straight up. Did I I said straight up? A mile into the air. Oh my God. I mean, you're looking, I mean, really. You're looking... <laughs> down and you're like what if what if what if and the kids on either side we got you we got you it's okay and it occurs to me there before I in that purgatory moment that I wonder, can, can courage be contagious? Can we get heart from other hearts when our heart is not enough? Can I tremble and have courage at the same time? Friends, I've heard it said that the time we are all living in together, you and me, is I don't really like acronyms, but I liked this one. It is a VUCA world. Now, what is VUCA? It means we're living in a world of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And if that is too many words, you can go with what Harvard Business Review described it as, the shorthand for the times. Hey, it said, it's crazy out there. <laughs> And when it is crazy out there and crazy in here, it is so tempting to stay to yourself, to sit on the bench, to tell the kids, you kids go ahead, I'll watch from a distance, and cover up our fear by escaping into the familiar and the safe and the normative and the status quo. It is, after all, so much easier to think of life as a private solo quest except that that's not really what we want, nor is it what the world needs. So here at the end, I have a request for us as we launch together into our church year together. Will you help me? Because despite your projections onto the pulpit, I am sometimes so overcome with fear and doubt that I won't have the heart or the courage to get up off the bench or out of the pew. 
and ride these scary times. I need your help. And I know sometimes that you are overcome with fear, and I know that you doubt that you have the courage to get up off the bench and ride these scary times. Which is, it's so easy, easily said that it's, that it's forgettable. That's why we come. Those of you who decided to, to wake up this morning and arrive here in a humid, sweaty sanctuary, beautiful though it is, and sit in uncomfortable pews, are staking out a claim which says, I need help. We need to help each other. We need to help each other not flee, not run away, knowing that we sit together in these pews, staring into the eye of our fear as we go straight up straight up and as the ride releases us this year we know that we've got each other into the twists and the turns and that we will be here waiting for each other and with each other when the ride is on the other side will you help me if so please say amen, amen. and again with courage amen